You are listening to an audio sermon of First Baptist Church of Arlington, Washington. Our mission is to know Jesus and make Him known. Thank you for joining us. Here is today's message. Well, if you have your copy of God's Word with you tonight, I invite you to take it and turn with me to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. We don't have time tonight for a verse-by-verse expositional study of the text, but I would like for us to pick up where we have been on Sunday mornings as we've been walking through the account that Matthew gives us of the Savior's birth. We have looked in chapter 1 in the first half of chapter 2, and so now we're going to continue with that with a brief homily here and close out the chapter. This year we've been looking at the King of Christmas. In chapter 1, we saw the King's family with Jesus' genealogy. We also saw the king's arrival with the story of his birth. And on Sunday, we looked at the king's guest, which Todd just read for us, at the appearance of the Magi. Tonight, we'll briefly look at the king's sovereignty, because the rest of Matthew 2 provides us with four movements, four shifts, four occurrences within the text, within the historical narrative before us that showcase the absolute authority of God. He is the Almighty God, not simply because He is mightier than all, but because He is the mightiest in every aspect of life. With Him, there are no surprises. There are no suspenseful moments, no shocking revelations. He knows all and He controls all. And the events that follow the the first Christmas reveal these marvelous truths to us about the Almighty God that we serve. So to begin with, the first thing that we see here in the first movement is that God controls time. God controls time. Concerning the Magi, in verse 13, he says, Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother. And flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night, and departed to Egypt, and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet Out of Egypt I called my son. In this first movement of the story, Joseph is warned in a dream, to take his family and go on the run. As soon as the Magi leave, an angel appears to him and tells him, get out of town, go to Egypt. In that day, Egypt had become a safe haven for the Jews. As you know, at one time, Egypt was very well known for having a large slave population of Jews. It was not a good place for the Jews at one time. But during the intertestamental period, Alexander the Great made Egypt a safe haven, a safe place for Jews to settle and move in. His efforts encouraged them to pour into Egypt and to become Jewish Egyptians. And several did, especially during the time of Herod. According to Philo, the Jewish historian, Egypt had somewhere around one million Jews at the time of Christ. As things got worse back home, the Jews fled to Egypt hoping for a better life. Much like today, we see several people moving out of states like ours, don't we? Like California and Oregon, to magical, wonderful places that we've all read about, places like Idaho and (laughs) Tennessee and the Midwest. 
because the cost of living is cheaper. Taxes are lower and the political climate is easier. It's the same thing happening here in our text, only worse, as we'll see here in a minute. But the truly remarkable thing about this first movement is the comment we see here at the end, where we're told this was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken. Why did these events happen? What, what really brought Jesus and his family to Egypt before the slaughter? These things happened because it was predetermined. It was the predestined, predetermined will of God for these things to happen. Listen, God doesn't just observe the activities of man and hope for the best. He doesn't simply look down the corridors of time and predict our choices. No, God controls time. There are no chances with God. Matthew 2.15 tells us this had to happen, and it had to happen this way. Why? Because God said that it would. But that's not all. Not only is God sovereign over time itself, he rules over the activities of man itself. Bringing us to our second movement here in the narrative, the fact that God controls trouble. God controls trouble. Look at verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all the region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Wow, what a cruel and wicked king. Now this Herod, he was an interesting guy. He was known as Herod the Great because of his magnificent building projects. But he was also hated by the Jews because of insane political decisions like this one to kill all the newborn babies in Bethlehem. At this time, he was a miserable man. He was sick with convulsions and violent breathing and worms in his intestines. He knew that he was, he was about to die. He knew that he wasn't going to live long. The church historian Eusebius tells us that at this period in his life, that one of his final orders was to round up the distinguished men from every village in Judea and trap them inside of the Hippodrome. He then sent for his sister and brother-in-law, and this is what he told them. Listen to this. He said, quote, I know that the Jews will rejoice at my death, but I may be lamented by means of others and have splendid funeral rites if you are willing to perform my commands. As soon as I have expired, surround these men that are now under guard with soldiers as soon as possible and slay them, that all in Judea and every house, though against their will, may be compelled to weep at my death. End quote. What a sick man. Despite our current political climate and the fears that we all have for the future of our country, I would much rather live here and now than there and then. You think our leaders are bad. They don't hold a candle to the likes of Herod or Nero, those men who held positions of power while the New Testament was being written. And yet God is still sovereign. He is still king. He is still in control over all of it, even the bad. Because look at what the next verse says. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. Even this isn't a surprise to God. 
A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation. Rachel, weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Friends, it should be a tremendous comfort to us, knowing that even the most wicked plans of men are no surprise to God. And he is a God of justice. So often we focus on his love. We focus on his mercy, his compassion, his kindness, his long-suffering, his forbearance. We focus on all of these aspects of him, and they are all good and wonderful and kind, and we, we love those things about God. Another thing that we should love about him is the fact that he is a God of justice. He is a righteous judge, and one day he will right every wrong. For the Christian, that should be an incredible encouragement. Charles Spurgeon, my favorite dead preacher, said, Sudden death means sudden glory. I love that. Sudden death means sudden glory. And the God of Scripture, he refers to babies and infants as his innocent ones. They hold a special place in his heart. So I believe that those babies that were murdered here in this text, that they immediately entered into the presence of the Lord while the Messiah escaped. Because God controls time, and he also controls trouble. Next, we see that God controls turnarounds. Turnarounds. Starting in verse 19. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. Aren't you glad? Aren't you relieved that life's troubles don't last forever? They don't. They don't last forever. God loves turning things around. The evils we face in life have a time stamp, every single one of them. The Apostle Paul suffered greatly. He suffered unimaginable pains and heartaches, and, and eventually he was executed by the state. But what was his attitude through it all? He said, for this light, momentary affliction. How often when we are afflicted by things far less than what Paul went through, how often do we take those afflictions, those sufferings, those heartaches, those pains, those inconveniences and troubles, and hold them up to the scale of eternity and say, this is painful for now, but it is light and it is momentary. It will not last forever. And it is nothing compared to what we have waiting for us. He says, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. We, we can't even comprehend how good it will be to be free of sin. And no longer have to deal with the afflictions of Satan, the world, and the flesh. It's all momentary because the same God who relieved Joseph has promised relief to us. And then finally, the last movement we see here in this text is that God controls truth. He controls truth. Look at verse 22. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea, in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled. 
that he would be called a Nazarene. Joseph was still scared about returning to Bethlehem. He wasn't sure if it was safe or not. He had his fears and his reservations about Herod's son, and they were legitimate fears. So God warns him by telling him the truth of the situation. You know, like so many of you, I mean, this has been a hard year, hasn't it? For many of us. And like so many of you, I just wish sometimes that God would show up and warn me in a dream. That, that he would tell me what is true and what's not true. Especially here throughout the course of this pandemic. It would be nice to know which experts are right and whose comforting echo chamber helps the most. But God only knows the heart of man. And one day, he will judge every man according to his deeds. But even now, even now, in the midst of so much chaos and confusion and pain, God knows the truth. He knows the truth. After all, he controls time. He controls trouble. He controls turnaround. And he controls truth. So here's the big picture. Here's the takeaway that I want you to remember this 2020 Christmas. Two things. First of all, God has a plan. God has a plan. Matthew 2 contains four Old Testament prophecies about Jesus. We have looked at three of them tonight. Of the hundreds of Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah, Matthew chose four of them to prove to us that Jesus is that Messiah, that he is the anointed one. And they are very specific prophecies because they come from God himself. These are not vague, sporadic, speculative prophecies like the ones that you see on Christian television today. No, each one of these, every one of these prophecies, they're all tied to a place. They're all tied to a geographical location. The first prophecy says the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. The second says he will be called out of Egypt. The third, that there will be weeping in Ramah when all of this takes place. And then finally, the Messiah would settle in Nazareth, and he would be called a Nazarene. Jesus is the only person in the history of the world to fulfill every single one of those prophecies. And not just fulfill them perfectly, fulfill them in order. Many have claimed to be the Messiah. But only one person can say, I was born in Bethlehem. I came out of Egypt, my birth stirred up anguish in Ramah, and Nazareth is my hometown. Only one Messiah can claim that. This proves beyond any doubt that Jesus is the Messiah, and God has a plan. Secondly, I want you to walk away knowing that God has a purpose. He has a plan and he has a purpose. What is that purpose? We saw it in chapter 1, verse 21 when the angel appeared to Joseph and told him to name the baby Jesus. He said, call him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. He will save them from their sins. The bad news is that we have all sinned, every single one of us. Most of us have not killed a baby, but we have all sinned against a holy and righteous God. And we deserve a just punishment for every sin that we have committed against him. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love, sent his son to die in the place of sinners. Think about that. God sent his son, the second member of the Trinity. God himself, God the Son, came to earth 
became a man. He took on human flesh, and he suffered the same way you and I suffered, under conditions that were horrible, under terrible conditions. He suffered, and yet he was without sin. He had the right attitude, he had the right actions, he followed through, and he walked and he lived his life in perfect righteousness before the Father, only to die a criminal's death, only to be put to death by the hands of sinful men so that he could stand in the place of sinful men before the Father, so that the Father could then pour all of his wrath against sin onto his Son, so that he could punish him For our sins, the punishment that we deserve, that was placed upon Christ so that all who would believe in him, trust in him for their salvation, that they would be saved. So that God would no longer look at us and see our sins. Instead, he would see the perfect obedience, the active obedience of Christ himself. Because at that time, he didn't look at his son and see perfection. He looked at his son on the cross and he saw our sin. And he punished it. And he paid the price for it once for all so that we would not suffer that punishment ourselves. What an incredible truth. What a glorious truth. But it is only true for those who will place their faith in this Savior, who will deny themselves, pick up their cross and follow him. Those who will, those who will turn from their wickedness Repent of their sin, the sin that has already been paid for on the cross if you believe and trust in Christ for your salvation. If you do that, you will be saved. Jesus said, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. He also said, this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. So if you have never come to the Savior, friend, come to Jesus. Look on the Son, believe in him, and receive eternal life. He is the promised Messiah, the sovereign King, and he has come to save his people from their sins. For the rest of us, let's leave this year. Let's leave 2020 behind us. And let's do so remembering that God has a plan. God has a purpose, regardless of what the next year brings or the year after that or the year after that. God is in control. And we have every reason, every reason in the world to worship the King of Christmas. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, Lord, thank you thank you again for these truths. We know that Jesus is the Messiah. He is your son and that you have sent him here to die in the place of sinners. Lord, I pray that if there is anyone here tonight who has not trusted in this Savior for salvation, that you would work in their hearts, that you would pull the blinders off of their eyes, that you would unstop their ears, that you would give them a mind and a heart to understand your truth and that they would respond in faith tonight. And for the rest of us, Lord, I pray that you would give us strength, much like Paul wrote to the Galatians at the very end of that letter. I pray that we would not weary in doing good. I pray that we would have strength for tomorrow and that we would continue to rely on our King for everything. 
Lord, may we never lose our vision of you and your precious Son. May we live every day in light of the truths that we have looked at tonight as we honor you and as we celebrate the incarnation in your Son's birth this season. May you receive all the honor and all the glory and all the praise. In your precious and holy name, amen.